Now, Jason is the youngest of our two sons, and uh, I listen to the podcast every week. And listen, it is hilarious for me and his older brother to listen to Jason talk about how hard his childhood was. How difficult he had it, how abused he was, the 12-mile walk in the snow against a 20-mile-an-hour headwind, all that stuff. It's baloney. It's not like it was. Jason was the most pampered baby child you ever saw. We called him the whatever kid. He nearly drove his mother crazy. I remember times his mother would come in the room, and she would slam the door, and she'd say, you better get with that kid. I'm going to kill him. He... uh, he had, he had a kind of a whatever spirit about him. And I see that in Nora. Nora has that same kind of laid back, whatever happens, happens kind of a personality. But there are four things as I thought about this um, day and what this was going to be. I, there are four things that I look back now and I realize in his growing up days that God was developing and fostering in him that was going to make him both a great husband, a great father, and a great pastor. Number one was Jason's sincerity. Jason has always been sincere. He may be a lot of things and he may have a lot of flaws, but he is always sincere. And I appreciate that about him. That makes him an excellent leader and a great father. And then he was determined. Now, when he was younger, I called this stubbornness. But now I see this incredible, steely determination in his spirit that says, I believe this is what God wants me to do. I believe this is what I'm supposed to do, and I'm not going to give up on it. And no matter what the difficulties have been, uh, whatever they may have been, through some of the crisis that we had in years gone by, Jason has had an incredible determination that he's going to navigate life. He's going to do what God wants him to do. His heart is after God. And that kind of determination has been something that I've admired about him so very much. Thirdly, I would say that Jason grew up being a very generous child. When he was younger, he would come home from school and I'd go, Jason, where is your coat? He'd go, Dad, well, there was this kid that didn't have a coat, and so I gave him mine. I'd say, son, we just bought. That's a brand-new coat. And I'd Dad, he had to have a coat. Or I remember one time Jason got off the bus. He didn't have his shoes. Where are your shoes? Well, I gave them to a guy on the bus today. He's always been about other people, always generous. You know, it's not hard for him to have conversation with Terry Jones like he did. His heart leans toward generosity. He's always been that way. And then lastly, I would say that Jason has always loved God's Word. I remember the night that he came home from a summer camp, and uh, he had had a television in his room he used for video games, and he would watch TV and play on it. But that night, he unplugged the TV. I noticed when I went in his room, the TV had been unplugged. I don't know if he ever turned it back on for a long season. He grabbed a Bible, and I would catch him for hours reading the Bible, studying the Bible, walking into my room and saying, Dad, what do you think Paul meant right here? What does this verse mean to to us? What what am I supposed to be getting out of this passage right here? And, uh, you know, we co-wrote a book this year. And and, and the the fascinating discussions that I have with Jason about God's Word have caused me to appreciate with greatness how much he loves God's Word. And you'll you'll hear that today in the preaching uh, of of the Word of God. He loves God's Word. He loves uh, talking about God's Word and preaching about God's Word. I love Jason. He is one of my dearest, closest, best friends. Not only my son, but I love him very, very much. He's the third best putter in our family, by the way. The third best. And I love hanging out with Jason. He is so cool. Shelly and I love him. Shelly says all the time that she loves Jason as much as if he was her absolute own. 
because there's so many things that she admires about him, and we love them. I want Jason and Andrew to join me on the platform, please. And you might say, well, where, where do I connect with all this, and what am I supposed to do? Well, there's three things I think that you can do if you want to appreciate your pastors today. Number one is pray for them. When you pray for your pastor, it means a lot. So be sure that you pray for them. Be sure you tell them that you're praying for them. Because there are times when the devil tells them, ain't nobody praying for you. When you say, hey, I'm praying for you, pastor, that means something. Second thing you can do is encourage them. You can affirm them. You can tell them when you want to, when you feel it's important, when you feel led to. You can just say, hey, listen, I like you. You're a good guy. Enjoyed that message. I appreciate, what, I appreciate that music. I appreciate what you do. And I want to tell you, son, you are a good pastor. You are a good pastor. And Andrea, you're a good leader. And we love you very, very much. The third thing that you can do is bless them. Think of a way this week that you can intentionally and deliberately bless Jason and Andrea and their family. And, uh, and do, it, do it out of the heart of generosity that he's taught you and modeled you all these years. And do it because you want to, because you want to take an opportunity to bless them. Because you want them to know that they matter to you, that they're important. So would you stand with me, please? And if you could be comfortable with this, and, and Shelly, would you join me on the platform for just a moment here, please? If you're comfortable with this, would you just kind of stretch your hand toward the stage here symbolically? And Shelly and I are going to lay our hands on them and pray for them. We're going to ask God to bless them and to minister to them and, and prosper them. We're going to do that as a church, and then we'll move on with the rest of the service. Let's pray together. Father, in the name of Jesus, I lay my hands on this precious couple today. I thank you, Father, for your anointing that is upon their life. I thank you for their vision, their passion and desire for this great church. And I pray, Heavenly Father, that you will continue that. I pray, Lord, that you will give them courage to lead this congregation where you are calling them to lead this congregation. Thank you for their heart for this city. Thank you for their heart for the world. And God, may there always be a place in the ministry of this church to reach beyond the walls and touch the people who so desperately need the hope that the name of this church symbolizes. I pray the blessings of God on them, upon their children, upon this church, upon all the people that are a part of this great spiritual family. We give you the glory and the honor for it. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And everybody said... always nice to be appreciated, so I appreciate being appreciated. Thank you so much for everybody who worked on that and set that up. I didn't hear much of what he said after he said I was the third best putter. I was thinking about how the, my brother passed me on that list. I may not be one, but I'm not three. Um, anyway, so um, just pumped that you're here today. We're in the middle of, uh, of the series called My Life Under Construction. And this is a series where we're, we're, we're just we're taking little nuggets, little verses, little statements out of the book of Nehemiah to help us rebuild some things in our lives that were ruined. Uh, you know, the Bible talks about ruins coming to life. And, and really, we just said that's a fancy way of saying I ruined it, but God wants to rebuild it. And so maybe you're here today and you're like, you know, my marriage needs to be rebuilt. My family needs to be rebuilt. My career needs to be rebuilt. My faith, my dreams, my health, my money, whatever it is. I screwed it up. 
But God, if he'll help me, I, would, I want God to rebuild it. I want, I want God to do something, a rebuilding process in my life. And so we've said each week, we've started these sermons each week uh, the same way. And so we're going to go ahead and just do it again. Uh, you know, we're talking about renovation. We've all seen the signs. Why don't you just turn to the person that you're sitting beside and just tell them, say, pardon the mess. Tell them, say, pardon the mess. I'm under renovation. I, I, I'm a little stinky, sweaty, smelly, messy, but God's doing something in me and and working on me. We've said each week that there's only three reasons to rebuild something. There's only three reasons to rebuild something. You either rebuild it because it's damaged, something happened to it. There's going to be a rebuilding process going on in Florida and things. You, you rebuild something because it's damaged. And some of you in the room would say, Jason, my life got ruined or my plans got ruined because of something that happened to me. I was damaged. Sometimes you rebuild things because you've neglected them. It wasn't that something happened to it. It's that you neglected it. And so you would say, Jason, you know, my marriage is where it is because I neglected it. My faith is where it is because I neglected it, right? And then the third reason that you rebuild something is sometimes just because it's old, right? And we serve a God who loves to do new things, amen? And so God's not saying, hey, I love what I did in your life 15 years ago. He's saying, I wanna do something new in your life. So even if you kind of like where you are, you know, this isn't a message just for anybody who's distraught at the very bottom. Even if you like where you are, then God says, yeah, but don't, let's don't try to live on yesterday's, you know, fumes of yesterday's gasoline here. Let's, let's try to, to move forward. And so I really believe that this series is for everyone in the room that God is wanting to build new things, rebuild things in our lives. And Nehemiah is this roadmap. It's this manual for us about how we can rebuild something or how something can be rebuilt. And so the first week we just talked about repentance. You cannot fix a problem you won't admit that you have. And so Nehemiah said, we have sinned. But then he said, even me and my family have sinned. So he said, Nehemiah owned it. And we can't rebuild something we won't own. God, this is on me. My faith is where it is because I neglected it. God, my marriage is where it is, either because of the way I reacted to something that happened to me or because of what I did. My money's where it is because of what I did. I'm owning it. It's not everybody else. It's on me. And Nehemiah said, God, you promised that when we return to you, that you would bring us back from the ends of the earth, which is great because that means no matter where we are, no matter how far gone we are, God is just waiting on us to say, it was on me. It was my fault. And he said, now let's rebuild. So that was week one. Last week, we talked about the favor of God. If that's a phrase that you're not familiar with, I wanna encourage you to go back and listen to the podcast because last week was all about explaining what the favor of God is, why we would want that and what that means for our lives. But Nehemiah, after he repented, he said, God, grant me success today. What I'm trying to do is too big for me. If your dream is, if you can accomplish your dream on your own, it's too small. And so we need some divine intervention. And so Nehemiah knew this project is too big for me, but God can. And so God, we want you to grant success today. And so we just prayed that on our lives last week, whatever we're trying to rebuild. God, we want a successful marriage, family, faith, career, money, health, whatever it is, God rebuild it. And so this week, we're gonna talk about, I guess the big umbrella would be relationships, but if I was giving it a title, uh, I guess this week I wanna talk about the power of punctuation. The power of punctuation. Some of you in the room, you guys are grammar Nazis. We don't like you. Nobody likes you except the other grammar people that like you uh, because I make an incredible point on Facebook and then you comment about where I missed the comma. Like, I don't need that, right? But how many people know that punctuation is important? Punctuation is important and the wrong punctuation or not having punctuation can mess things up 
I found a couple of pictures online that just kind of highlight the importance of punctuation. This is a church sign. Don't let your worries kill you. Let the church help. What they were trying to say was awesome. But what they said, because they had the wrong punctuation, didn't make sense. This next one's kind of sick. Rachel Ray finds inspiration in cooking her family and her dog. She finds inspiration, but it got all messed up because of the wrong punctuation. Let's just look at one more. One more. Hunters, please use caution when hunting pedestrians using walk trails. That's not what they were trying to say. But how many people know that punctuation is powerful? Punctuation is powerful. And so we're going to talk about that today. I was reading through Nehemiah the first time I was kind of rereading it, getting ready for this series, and just found something really, one of those kind of simple, wow, duh, thank you, God, for showing me that obvious thing that I would have missed. Uh, just a really simple thing, but a very powerful thing. How, how many people know that a lot of times it's the simple things that are the most powerful, right? Like, your doctor's like, hey, you're going to have a heart attack. Stop eating French fries, okay? Like, hey, you need your marriage to have a little romance? Just buy flowers. It's a simple thing. Ladies, that was a good spot to say amen. You're like, well, she told me she didn't like flowers. She was lying to you, all right? It's the, it's the simple things that are the most powerful things sometimes. And there's this really simple principle in the book of Nehemiah that I want us to talk about today. So we're going to keep the cookies on the bottom shelf so everybody can get some today. It's going to be really simple, but it's going to be powerful for your life. So why don't you get out a notepad or a pen or get your notes app out on your phone so we can take some notes. I want to just, just drop three really simple statements on you that I believe have, uh, have the ability to, to really help this rebuilding project, this renovation project that God is doing and wants to do in your life. Nehemiah chapter 2 going to start with verse 11. Here's what it says. Nehemiah says, so I arrived in Jerusalem. So he's already went to the king. Got, he's already repented. Now it's, he's, he's taking kind of step two. He says, I arrived in Jerusalem. Three days later, I slipped out during the night, taking only a few others with me. I had not told anyone about the plans that God had put in my heart for Jerusalem. Now, this is not the point of the message today, but I'm going to go ahead and just give you one point real quick right here, up here at the beginning because Nehemiah shows us this, that everything that's hap that God is doing in me is not always public knowledge. I love this. This is definitely a leader talking because Nehemiah said, I slipped out at night. I'm kind of taking inventory and I'm not telling everybody what's happening. There are things that God sometimes does in us and is doing in us Sometimes we don't talk about them because it's not time to talk about them. Sometimes we don't talk about them because we don't even know how to articulate it. I say to our team all the time, like, I, got, I just feel like I'm going to share this. This is like a first draft. I don't know. Just hang with me here. But sometimes, like, God is moving and stirring and putting dreams in our heart. And, and, and it's not always the right place or the right time to just spit out first draft things that God's doing in our life. Because we serve a crockpot God, not a microwave God. And so sometimes what he's doing in us is just marinating, and it's just sitting in there, and, and, and it's, we're, we're supposed to wait. We're not supposed to do something with it just, just yet because God is bringing us along. It's kind of like when Andrea told me when we got pregnant with, uh, we've actually been pregnant six times, four children, and so the first couple of times uh, she would get pregnant, she would come to me and she would say, you know, we're pregnant, woo, you know, I was always more excited than she was, and, and um and she would say, but you can't tell anyone, which is like, I'm really good at keeping all y'all secrets about like all the junk going on in your life you talk to me about. 
But like my family and my family, we tell everybody everything. Like I talk to my brother and my dad every day on the phone, like we're telling everything. She's like, but you can't say anything. You got to promise, you know, because if you tell your dad, he's going to tell your grandma, your grandma's going to tell everybody. And then it's like, everybody's going to know. And I don't want to, sometimes like after a miscarriage, she didn't want to say anything because she was worried. Other times she didn't want to say anything because she wanted to reveal it at the right time. And the same thing is true for our lives. Like God is birthing something on the inside of you. And, and sometimes like announcing it in like the fourth week or the first trimester sometimes is not the right thing to do or the smart thing to do because God is working on us still. And so that's not the point. I just wanted to, to make that, that small point today because that's what's happening in Nehemiah. We serve a personal God who's doing personal things in us. And, and, so, and so let's just let God continue to work on us. That dream that you have, that business idea that you have, that conversation that you wanna have with your spouse, you need to have it, but you may not need to have it right now. You may need to have it in six weeks. You may need to have it in three weeks. And we just gotta trust what God is, is doing in us. And that's what's happening with Nehemiah right here. He's not telling anybody. He knows God's plans are big, you know God's doing something in you, but it's a work in progress. And so we're just kind of letting it stew, letting it marinate for just a little bit. Skip down to verse 17. This is what I want to get to today, okay? Verse 17, chapter 2. But now I said to them, he's ready to verbalize it, get it out there. You know very well what trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire. Let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and end this disgrace. Then I told them about how the gracious hand of God had been on me. That's the favor of God. And about my conversation with the king. And they replied at once, yes, let's rebuild the wall. Can somebody tell me what that punctuation is after wall? It's an exclamation point. It's an exclamation point. I hope you didn't answer because you were nervous, not because you didn't know. But it's, uh, they replied at once, yes, let's rebuild the wall, exclamation point, so... They began the good work. Second point, number two, you need the right people in your life to get to the right places. You need the right people in your life to get to the right places. So simple, but so powerful for us today. We need exclamation point people in our life. I love this. Nehemiah shows up and he says, we're in trouble. It's a disgrace. We've owned it. We've prayed for favor. I really think, Y'all may think I'm crazy, Jerusalem people. Y'all may think I'm nuts. I think it's time to rebuild this wall. And the Bible says that the people said, yes, yes, let's rebuild the wall. Exclamation point would mean to me that they were pretty excited about it. Yes, let's rebuild the wall. We've got to have some of those people in our lives if God's going to do something new in us. We say to our friends, hey, listen, I really think I, I'm, I'm going to lose 30 pounds. Yes, you are. Yes, you're going to lose 30 pounds. You can do this. You got this. Come on, you got it. Hey, listen, I, I know that he hasn't been a great husband, but I'm going to stick around. I'm going to hang in there with him because I really believe God wants to redeem our marriage. Yes, I love your heart. God's going to do it. God's going to redeem that marriage. Come on, hang in there. Don't give up. Don't quit. You need people in your life when you call and say, that's it, I'm done. They're like, no, 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 no. Hang in there. Come on, you can do this. Hey, listen, I'm, I'm going to get clean. I'm tired of being addicted to this thing. Yes, you are going to get clean. You can do it. God's got great plans for your life. I've been waiting on you to say that because God is going to do it. We've got to have exclamation point people in our lives that when we begin to verbalize and share what God's wanting to rebuild and do, 
when we're being vulnerable, when we're being honest and we're kind of embarrassed about it. And, and, and we need people in our lives who are exclamation point people. I got this crazy idea. I'm going to start a business. Yes. I love that. Do it. Come on. Start that business. Get your life together. You, you can do it. And that old African proverb says, if you want to go fast, go alone. You want to go far, go together. I think what God's doing in your life and what he's saying to you and putting in you and rebuilding in you, I think it's awesome. I don't think it's going to come to completion by yourself. And, and, so, and so if you want to go far, you got to go together. I would say probably maybe one of the most important decisions you'll ever make in your life is who you partner yourself with. I'm not talking about who you like watch the Louisville game with at Roosters. I'm talking about who you partner yourself with, your spouse, your friends you do life with, the people you share your vulnerabilities with and honesty with, what God's put in your heart, the faith that you're trying to have for something, the people you can cry with. Like who you partner with, one of the most important decisions in your life. Because it's not a coincidence that Nehemiah says, let's rebuild it. They replied at once, yes. And then it says, so they began. It's, it's a lot easier to get the ball rolling with exclamation point people. And so we got to have the right people in our lives to get us to the right places. Let's keep going. Verse 19. But when Sambalah, Tobiah, and Geshev, the, uh, the Arab, heard of our plan, they scoffed contemptuously. Sambalah, Tobiah, and Geshev just sound like people in a bad mood, doesn't it? Like it's just like a, you know, three stooges of Arab. And they scoffed contemptuously, contemptuously. And look at this next statement. What are you doing? Somebody tell me what that punctuation is there. Question mark. Are you rebelling against the king? Question mark. So here comes Sambalah, Tobiah, and Geshub. And they're not exclamation point people. They're question mark people. And punctuation matters because the wrong punctuation can screw everything up. And so Nehemiah stands up in front of the people and he says, we can do it. Let's rebuild this wall. And the exclamation point people say, Yes, we can. Let's do it. We got it. Come on. High fives. Group hug. We got it. Let's go. But not, not, uh, not Sambalaya, Tobiah, and Geshem. They're not exclamation point people. They're question mark people. What are you doing? You think you're better than everybody else? You really think this is going to work? Okay, you're going into rehab for the sixth time. Good luck with that, buddy. Yeah, you said you're going to lose 30 pounds last year. Oh, you're going to give him another chance? You think God's going to... Like, what are you doing? How many people have experienced the air just completely sucked out of your balloon of enthusiasm for life by a question mark person? Let me see your hand. Yeah. I mean, you don't, you don't want to go to jail, but you want to assault them physically. You want to punch them in the throat. You want to do something. Because here you are high on life, motivated, excited, encouraged. God's got a dream in your heart. Somebody's going to rebuild. And you think everybody's going to be as excited about your dream and, and what God's doing in your life as you are. But one of the great philosophers of our generation, Taylor Swift, said it. <laughs> Haters gonna hate. <laughs> Some of y'all hating on T-Swift. Haters <laughs> gonna hate. I love another quote from a famous uh, great philosopher, Oprah Winfrey. She said... Once somebody shows you who they are, believe them. I love that. I mean, like, once somebody shows you who they are, once you identify they're a question mark, believe them. That's what they are. And so here's point number three. I don't think I gave it to you. You'll never turn a question mark into an exclamation point. 
I mean, it's happened like 1% of history. It happened for the Apostle Paul, but it took a light from heaven and blinding him for three days. That may happen. But the reality is, in my life, my experience is you never turn question marks into exclamation points. And so what happens to us, catch this now, what happens to us is God says, I want to rebuild. I want to build something great in your life. And he plants that dream in your heart. And here you go. You're excited and you're ready. You are going to save your marriage. You are going to get healthy. You are going to save money. You are going to find that faith again. You are going to get clean from that addiction. You got it. Here we go. And the problem is you can't get anywhere with what God wants to do because you're surrounded by question mark people. Why, why are you going to church? Didn't you go to church last week? Why are you going to church again? Why, 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 are, you, why are you doing that small group? Why, why, are you, why are you going to recovery? We both know you ain't going to last. And it's almost impossible. It's almost impossible for you to get where God is trying to take you if you have surrounded yourself with question mark people instead of exclamation points. And the reason, that, uh, like, the reason that question mark people are so frustrating is because they think it's their job. Like they think that God put them on the earth, created them specifically because God felt like the earth was overpopulated with optimism and enthusiasm. So God put them on this planet to make sure that no one gets too excited about anything that could be positive, advantageous, or new for you in your life. So they feel like they, they woke up today because God made them to be critical. They've got, a, they've got a view of life that you don't have. They've got experience that you don't have. They are a realist, right? And they just want to make sure they love you too much to let you be optimistic. They love you too much to see you get hurt and let down again because you dared to dream, believe, go after, have faith for what God is wanting you to do. I don't know about you, but I know for me that I would rather be an artist than an art critic. I'd rather be a chef than a food critic. I would rather play in the game than sit in the stands and call the talk radio show on Monday and talk about what the players did wrong, I'd rather play in the game, right? And see, question mark people, they would rather, they find more satisfaction from, from critiquing anyone else's attempts for accomplishment than actually accomplishing anything for themselves. You have a question mark person in your life right now? I want you to honestly just think right now, what's the last thing they accomplished? What's the last thing they dared to dream for and actually accomplished? Probably nothing. That's probably why they're a question mark. There's bitterness and they're jaded and failure in their life. And they chose to be a question mark instead of an exclamation point. And so what happens to us is God's wanting to do something, but we use up all of our energy that we could use to rebuild the wall. We use up all of our energy trying to convince question marks to be excited for us. We use all our energy trying to convince question marks to be exclamation points and believe in me and support me and, and, and be with me. But Nehemiah, I love what Nehemiah did. Like him and Taylor Swift, they both had the philosophy, shake it off. Because Nehemiah looks at uh, Sambaliah, Tobiah, and Geshem, and look at what he says. He says, first of all, the God of heaven will help us succeed. I can't do this on my own. God's going to do it. So maybe there's a question mark person in your life who's like, you're not going to get clean this time. This is number 11. 
like, I, want, I can't get clean, but God can get me clean. You can say that. I can't save my marriage, but God can save my marriage, right? It says, the God of heaven will help us succeed. We, his servants, will start rebuilding this wall. And I love this next sentence. But you have no share, legal right, or historic claim in Jerusalem. I love that. But Nehemiah does not waste all his energy trying to convince these question marks to come exp- become explanation points. He just says, we will succeed, but once we do succeed, you'll have no part of it. When the rest of us are high-fiving and smiling, knowing that we did it, knowing that God did it, when the rest of us know that we're not where we used to be, when the rest of us are at a new place, when God does birth that new family, when God does start that business, when then we're gonna all have a part of it. We're gonna be invested because we were in this thing. But you will have no share. You'll have no part of it. I love that. He said, look, I'm just gonna draw a line in the sand and I'm not, Nehemiah talking here, I am not going to waste my time and my energy trying to convince question marks to be exclamation points. If you wanna be a question mark, you wanna critique, you wanna tell me what I'm doing wrong, you wanna tell me why I'm gonna fail, y'all get together and have your meetings about why I'm gonna fail, but you're gonna do it over here. We're gonna be over here working and striving and going after what God has put in our hearts and God will give us success and we're gonna throw a party, but guess what? You're not gonna be invited. You're not gonna be invited. And so it's so simple, it's so simple, but so challenging for us today. I want you to just think about your life for just a second. Are you spending all of your time and energy and faith trying to convince question marks to get on board? The reality, the chances are very, very high. They never will. Now you may be married to them, and so that's a different sermon for another time. You gotta hang in there, but for everyone else, We've got to look at them and say, I love you, but you have no share. I'm not giving you any part of my heart anymore. I'm not giving you my energy and my faith. I'm not letting you suck this dream out of me anymore because I know that God is going to rebuild what I ruined. And so you got no share. I want to, I want to also flip this for just a second and just challenge those of us in the room because it's always so easy for us to say, well, I don't have that in my life. I've got no exclamation points. I've got only question words. Let me ask you this, this, what kind of friend are you? What kind of friend are you? Because the best way to have exclamation point friends is to be an explanation point friend. What kind of friend are you? What kind of faith do you have when people come to you and share their dreams, their faith, what God's putting in them? Are you like Paul to Timothy and you fan the flame, you blow that spark into a flame? Or are you just a, a bucket of cold water on everybody's flame? And it's so hard for us to, to sometimes recognize it in ourselves. But if God's going to rebuild and do what it is that we believe he's going to do and what he's put in our hearts, we have got to connect ourselves to exclamation point people when we share what God has put on our heart, they say, yes, we can do it. We can do it. I wanna end by just reading one more story. Genesis 26, you don't have to go there if you don't want, but we've preached on it before. Andrea's preached on it. I was reminded of it this weekend. Isaac, who is Abraham's son, I'm not even gonna give you all the context. We'll just kind of take it at face value, but Isaac has now grown up and, and he's a man and he's, he's, he's doing well. And in Genesis 26, verse 12, 
Isaac planted his crops that year, and he harvested a hundred times more grain than he planted, for the Lord blessed him. He became a very rich man, and his wealth continued to grow. He acquired so many flocks of sheep and goats, herds and cattle and servants, that the Philistines became jealous of him. And I know that your mom told you when you came home in middle school and people were making fun of you that they were jealous of you, but you're like, no, they're not really jealous of me. It really is true. They're jealous of you. So there are question mark people in your life that are strictly question mark people because they wish they had what you had. And so the fact that you wanna go for more and be more, just like misery loves company. And so they're, they're, they're jealous of him. 15, so the Philistines filled up all of Isaac's wells with dirt. This was not a prank. This was like a big deal. This was their life source, their water, their, the blessing of God. And these were the wells that had been dug by the servants by his father, Abraham. 16, finally, Abimelech ordered Isaac to leave the country. Go somewhere else, he said, for you have become too powerful for us. So Isaac moved away to the Gerar Valley where he set up the tents and settled down. He reopened the wells his father had dug, which the Philistines had filled in after Abraham's death. Isaac also restored the names Abraham had given them. We're getting somewhere. Hold on. Isaac's servant also dug in the Gerar Valley and discovered a well of fresh water. But then the shepherds from Gerar came and uh, claiming the spring. This is our water, they said, and they argued over it with Isaac's herdmen. So Isaac named the well Esek, which means argument. That's the first name of the well he gives. Isaac's men dug another well, but there was again a dispute, so Isaac named it Sitna, which means hostility. And I just, when I read that, I, was, I just felt like for so many of us in the room, like you would say, Jason, I would describe most of the relationships in my life as argument and hostility. Like God's trying to do this new river well of living water thing in your life, but it feels like everything is arguments and hostility. And it's going to be very hard for God to build in you what he wants to build in you when all the environment around you is argument and hostility. 22, abandoning that when Isaac moved on and dug another well. This time there was no dispute over it. So Isaac named the place Rehoboth, which means, I love this, open space. For he said, at last the Lord has created enough space for us to prosper in the land. Here's my point. Here's why I read all those verses. When I read that again yesterday, I was reminded of this. You know, if you want to build something, you got to have land. You got to have land if you want to build something. You got to buy the land before you build the building. And I love this story because Isaac had a chance at every stopping point to get caught up in the arguments. He could have taken them to court. He could have got a lawyer. He could have said, you're wrong. I'll show you. These are mine. And he could have wasted years and years of his life trying to prove to people that he was right and they were wrong. But the Bible says he moved on. It got heated right here because there were more question mark people. The Bible says again, he moved on. And he kept moving on, not getting caught up like Nehemiah saying, hey, keep the will. You're not gonna have any part of what God's doing in my life until he finally gets to a place named open space. And I just felt so moved and so led yesterday as I was thinking about this, that some of you in here, like God's wanting to expand and grow, but like you got no elbow room. You got no space for God to build anything great in you because you're so bombarded with hostility and arguments and bad relationships and question mark people that have surrounded your life. And I really believe with all of my heart that, that God wants you to hear today and to know today that if you will just move on, if you will just move on, if you will just look at those question mark people in your life and just say, I love you and I'll see you at Thanksgiving or whatever it is, but like, I love you, but I'm, I'm moving on. I'm moving on. You're not gonna have any part of this. You, 
you don't have any share of this. I, I am moving on. I believe if we will move on, that God is going to take us into open space where he can build the incredible things he wants to build in our life. But it's going to be hard for him to build what he wants to build as long as you continue to surround yourself with question mark people. And so the simple part today is recognizing that there are exclamation points and question marks. That's the easy part. The hard part is having the courage and the faith and the trust in God to say, God, can I really separate myself? Like I've been with him like eight years and I know he hasn't asked for me to marry him yet. And I know he's not excited about my faith. And I know that really, I don't know why I'm with him, but I am with him. And like, can I really get out of that relationship? I mean, these are the friends that I knew from high school. And I mean, we're trying to get our lives together and I don't wanna leave them and then leave them high and dry. And they're gonna think I'm better than them. Can I really separate myself from them? These are my girlfriends I've had since I was in college. And I know that they keep telling me that I'm married to a loser and a bum and, and, and I'm trying to fight for this marriage. Like, can I really not be with those girlfriends? Can you, will you have the courage, the faith, the trust in God to say, God, I'm going to move on. And I'm believing that as I move on from this place, you're going to take me into open space. You're gonna take me into open space. And you, God, you will bring some exclamation point people into my life that are gonna get excited about what you're doing in me, that are gonna get excited about the faith that you're birthing in me, that are gonna believe with me, that are gonna join alongside of me and, and come alongside of me and really believe that you are going to rebuild or build in my life.